Welcome back to the 150K Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Graham, where we help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Today, I have with me special guest, Brian Bogart. He does everything. He's a mindset coach, sales expert, mental health, all-around great guy. But Brian, for people that don't know you, and it's actually kind of funny, I'm going to say the last eight guests I've had have been from the event in Montana that I went to at oh. George Bryant's. Just yeah. met a lot of really cool people. But for people that don't know you, and I know you were one of the speakers there, tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a husband and father first. It's the only thing binary in my world. If my wife and kids aren't good, I'll walk away from everything else that I've been doing. So I have to start with that. Uh, I'm a family man. I have intellectual curiosity and a deep connection with people. Um, and, and I think that that's one of the things I've done for a lot of my life is build people and build businesses. And I love helping people build businesses, right? Particularly businesses that have cause and purpose and impact, because that's typically how I, I, I navigate. Um, I will share. I, I think it's important for those who don't know me to know something that has happened to me because it shapes a whole lot of the way that I see the world and, and the way that the perspective is gleaned in my life. And so I'll just start in a really short, expedited version. Um, but when my when I was seven years old, my mom, my brother and I went to our local Walmart to get a one inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to our car, uh, unexpectedly, uh, we had a truck come out of control backwards across the parking lot, hit our car, knocked me over. I was standing next to it, waiting for my mom to unlock the doors, ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left a tire track scar on my stomach and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. And so um, I know you know that part, but for those who didn't know me, uh, I know that that sometimes comes as a shock. And so the thing I have to say is, and all the time I've been doing this, um, although I am very aware that I have a very unique story, it's also become very clear to me that we all have unique stories. So what's really important is that we pause long enough to extract the lessons from those stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. And we all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So that's a little bit about who I am, very little about what I do today. Um, but but that's, uh, you know, an important foundation, I think, to build off of. Yeah, no. And, and I love that your your openness to share. First and foremost, I'm a dad, too. And family for me is first like that is oh. huge for me, like 100 um, percent. I know like what I love about you, because, again, I've heard more of your story with being at the event is just the ability to overcome that type of trauma into who you are today. Because most people, especially entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals, I think we run from trauma. It, it, would that be your experience? Like, you know, we'll go and we'll try and build something or do something to get away from it. But you've kind of turned that around, it seems. Yeah. So I think, I think that there are some people who actively run from it. I think there are many people who get stuck by it. And then there are certain people who get moved by it, right? And that was one of the lessons I learned early is I learned very, very early not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And the more I've moved, the more I've been able to see that moved people move people. And so it's just this fuel on my fire. But I think that it is a natural evolutionary response to want to steer away from trauma, pain, mm -hmm. discomfort in general. Like we are not hardwired to want to absorb it. And particularly when it relates to what you call trauma, right? And trauma can exist mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Trauma could literally be someone losing their job. It could be someone losing their house or it could be someone losing their arm. Because the reality of it is when we talk about pain, when we talk about these types of things and trauma, it can't be measured independent of the person experiencing it. So drawing any kind of definitive conclusions around it becomes near impossible with one exception. 
It is a universal human experience. We will all experience pain, we will all experience suffering, and we will all experience some level of trauma in our world. And so instead of doing what the world tells us, which is to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain, chop it off at the top, show up with a smile on, and just continue to forge ahead, (laughs) right? We all hear this, just put your head down and grind through, right? What I do know definitively is that if we don't feel, we do not heal. Yeah. And so what I had to do early in life was I shut off physical pain because the demands exceeded my ability to cope. But what also happened to the byproducts is I also shut off emotional pain and I didn't realize it for 25 years. So although I was moved by what I had done, I did not actually do the proper healing that was necessary to truly allow me to live with joy, freedom, and fulfillment and actually escape the dictation of action based on my emotions and feelings. And now I'm in a position where I am actually able to influence, control my emotions and feelings versus just shut them off. And so that's what I would say is I, I think I was just blessed uh, early. And that concept of not getting stuck is because I felt sorry for myself right out of the gate. And then perspective hit me in between the eyeballs. Because as I'm laying in the ICU bed, as people are looking at us and families are coming up to saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry for what happened to you. And then come to find out their kids laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness. who doesn't know if they're going to live another 30 days. That's perspective. Yeah, I didn't know if I'd have my arm successfully reattached or I've ever have a successful use of it. But my life was no longer in jeopardy. And um, you know, I guess that healthy relationship with mortality gives you a whole different level of view on the world. Yeah, no, no, it, it, that does make sense. So let's break this down a little bit more. How would you, and again, like you said, everyone's trauma is a little bit different, but we all feel it. How did you get past that block? Because I know a lot of people are like thinking, how in the world would I have gotten past that? Like you said, you shut everything off for a while, but how did you start to, you know, unwind it or, or work on that? Yeah. So I would tell you that, you know, I had to move through certain things right out of the gate and I probably did that. And I conditioned two things early without realizing it. I conditioned my mental toughness early and I conditioned my emotional intelligence early because from the time I remember, nobody believed my story. Right. So I'd be seven and eight years old with a sling and people would say, what happened to your arm? They're expecting me to say I fell off my bike or the jungle gym. And then I'd see their jaw hit the floor when I told them what really happened. And then they'd immediately look to my parents for validation. Is this seven or eight year old actually telling us the truth? Right. I also had a lot of people who immediately viewed me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation. And I refused to be determined or defined by those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I set an intellectual narrative that I'm good, I'm tough, I'm strong, I can do anything I want. And I did that. Right. And, And I can do it a lot by myself. And that intellectual narrative served me very, very well to truly overcome a lot of hurdles, struggle and things that at that time I would not have had the capacity or ability to process. Okay. But it also gave me a false narrative because I believed that mental toughness alone was what led us down this path. Yeah. And so the secondary part of when I had to unpack this was truly in the last decade, right? When I started to realize that my wife who'd been telling me that I don't feel anything for the last 15 years started to actually be more right than I ever wanted to admit. Because mm-hmm. I always felt like I felt a lot because inside it was chaos, but outside I didn't demonstrate empathy or compassion. I was just sympathetic because I could intellectually understand what others were going through. Yeah. When I started to feel again, it's when I started to actually recognize that um, human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. So this thing that I had started to focus on and pay attention to when my intellectual narrative failed me really wasn't as complete as it needed to be because I was lacking the depth because of the emotion and the ability to see the world. But it was also when I started to feel that I started to recognize that I had some really deep, dark, hidden shame 
And I had some deep, dark, hidden anger that didn't come out for another few years after that. This year, in fact, is when we started to uncover it. And so what did I do? I could turn away from those moments, right? And ignore mm-hmm. the fact that shame was there. Or I could even be aware of it and even say, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to do this. Or I can really put in the work to understand that emotional triggers, right, can cause us to react and create damage. And if we know that emotional triggers are those things that typically keep us stuck, right, then that is one of the roots and the keys for how we can move through this world. So once I understood how to actually go inside out with understanding emotional triggers, seeing how they would move through me, move through my world and how I could move through it, that's when I started to create a different level of freedom because that's when I also started to shift my belief in that two things. One, I believed that mental toughness was all that we needed. (laughs) If we set our minds to it, we will get there. Right. And even in the beginning, I think you had called me like a mental, a a, a mindset coach. I did. And what's funny. And what's funny is like, there are a few titles. Like I don't, I don't care about titles, but that's one thing that whenever anybody says mindset coach, I'm always like, no, 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 it's more than that. Right. Yeah. That's why I say I'm a human behavior coach. Right. But the part of the reason in saying that, and by the way, there's no criticism when I say that my friend, um, but mindset is critically important, but it's only part of the equation. Mm-hmm. right? Because if we set our minds to something, we often are going to get it. We will manifest that thought process. But just because we get it doesn't mean that we absorb it, experience it, and embody it, right. okay? So what I realized is that the true high performers are those that understand their intellectual and their emotional narratives and can learn to balance and regulate between the two. Yeah. It was when I saw that and understood that that is when we live a complete full life is, again, not just about a mental toughness or just about an emotional strength, It's actually about the balance and regulation between both. It's about the mind-body connection. And when that starts to happen in fruition, that's when we experience freedom. That's what I started to do to unpack and move through these things, brother. No, that's good. And you've dropped a lot of wisdom there. Because I think a lot of people, especially in this space, we're good with the mindset because we can control it. We can grind it out. We can do the things, especially man, we can do it. But getting into our emotions and dealing with loss and pain and all, for me as a man, I know for sure it's hard. It's like, on the inside yeah on the inside i got it like i can feel it but on the outside i'm like no i'm gonna act tough or i'm gonna go hit a heavy bag instead of just sitting with my emotion and just allowing myself to cry or allowing myself to feel well and i would say two things i'm not a big believer in just sitting with emotion for the sake of sitting emotion outside of the initial processing because i think oftentimes people can keep themselves in that valley of despair with no objective and future focused perspective on how to move forward So typically when people get themselves in that place of sitting, right, they just become more aware of all the ways they should be judging themselves or feeling worse. And that's not what I'm suggesting people do. What I am suggesting people do is to deal with their feelings, understand Mm -hmm. what they mean, understand the roots of them, understand how they actually will dictate actions of ours sometimes that we don't even know are happening. Because that's the truth. What I believe is that so many of us convince ourselves intellectually that we're stuck because of the wrong strategy or tactics in our lives. That's why there's so many seven step systems to success and all these quick win opportunities for people to buy a shiny object to get rich quick or whatever, right? Because people are looking for something to fill that emptiness inside of them, which is typically driven based on the emotions. What keeps us stuck really is not strategy and tactics. It's a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. And so with the high level executives, business owners, entrepreneurs that we work with, that's often what we see. Quickly, they want to figure out what's the strategy or tactic to help me get better marketing, to get better sales, to get better leadership internally. And it's like, no, 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 let's start with you because everything begins and ends with you. And as the leader or business owner or salesperson, all of those interactions begin and end with you, the energy that you bring in and the energy you leave that person with, period, end of story. It's about who before what, people before profits. When we focus there and we do the work ourselves, again, that's when we not only make more money, have more fun, 
but experience more freedom and fulfillment. Yeah, no, and I love that because it's it's understanding where you're at and moving forward and understanding the the triggers. Like that's something that I'm 44 now, and I'm just now starting to unwrap this more of. Yeah. Why at certain times of the year do I get upset? Why do these certain things affect me the way they do? So now I'm acknowledging it and I'm like, okay, cool. So then I'm like trying to block myself from, okay, I'm not going to do this because I know that's going to set me off. So how do you go through emotional triggers? Because this, this definitely intrigues me. Like I can identify them, but how do you get past them or some tricks or yeah. tips on that? Yeah, so I'll, I'll hit a really expedited version of this, which you've heard the whole for, the full version. Yep. But the inside out method that we've broken down, and I want to be really clear when I say it's in four steps, it's not you follow these four steps and you're free because these four steps are going to be a never ending perpetual cycle of evolution and growth. There is no final destination. So I want to start with that. I, know, I don't mean to be like, oh, guess what? I'm asking you to do something hard and it's going to be hard forever. It gets easier. But the point is, is this, that to your point, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it the inside out method. And the four steps are really the pinnacle and where we need to begin and where we need to end. And it starts always with awareness. Okay. Our minds process 11 million bits of information per second, but we're only consciously aware of about 40. I mean, Joe, like the numbers on that are staggering. We are largely led by the unconscious, right? And it's no wonder that people feel like they're victims, like life is fate, like they have no influence or control over their destinies. Right. But all of a sudden, when we can start to recognize that when we move the unconscious, the conscious, the unaware to the aware, we do have more influence and control over our lives, over our destinies and the way we see ourselves. So it always starts with awareness because you can't be intentional with the things you're unaware of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So aware of the trigger, aware that the emotion exists, aware that this thing can expose and have impact on our lives. The next step is ownership. Okay. And ownership is really important because we have to not only be aware that these things have existed in our lives and these emotions happen, but actually own the fact that they are things that are either repeat patterns in our lives. They are things that we can't actually escape. And oh, by the way, often these triggers create damage. Okay. I'll give an example. Okay. One of the emotional triggers that I have is shame. Okay. I often talk about this because this is an important thing for us to understand. My wife will ask me a question as simple as, Hey, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? Simple, innocent question, no charge, no angle, but my shame lens will cause me to hear it through a defensive lens, which is implying that I haven't done enough to be a good husband and father. And I need to spend more time with my kids, which is not at all what she said, right? But that's what I heard. Okay. And so my shame will bubble up as defensiveness, which will actually come out a little bit as temper. And I'll get an edge about me and rattle off very quickly with an edge, the 10 things I've done in the last three to four days to show that I'm a good husband and father. And I never actually answered her question. And now I've put her on the defense because I've now created fuel through my reaction that has caused damage. So when I talk about ownership, it's also owning the damage that you've created and seeking to attempt to repair. When there's damage in our lives, we have to seek repair. That's how we eliminate and remove some of the resistance and energy drain in those relationships, the patterning that develops walls going up faster and all of the above. Then Then we have to unroot. And this is the hard part. Okay. Uh, This is where it starts to get really hard. We have to find the root or roots source or sources of our emotion. So for shame, right? Example, I had to go back to the very beginning and I have multiple roots or roots of my shame. They're mine. I'm not going to share them, but I've done the work to know where they came from and to know how they've patterned in my life. It's extremely important for us to unroot. And I'll give the analogy because I know that it, it is one that people tend to really identify with is this idea of like weeds, right? And so I'll ask you, we'll just engage on this. You know where this is going. So just play nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a weed in your lawn. What do you do with it? Pull it. You pull it. 
Okay. And inevitably what we try to do is to pull it, but how often do you actually get the full root? Uh, maybe one out of 10, if you're lucky. And that's, and that's even sometimes, even if you're trying to dig it, right? So you pull yeah. it, the top comes off, but there's a lot of people too, who take the complete lazy approach and don't even walk into the middle of the lawn to pull it. They're just like, that's eh, green. I'm going to mow over it. Right. Yeah, so whether we're too. talking <laughs> in the ground or in the lawn, it doesn't really matter. But the point yeah. is if there's a weed there and we attempt to pull it, but we don't get the root out, the root stays existing. What we know about roots of weeds is they continue to grow even if the top is chopped off. Mm -hmm. Right. So that root is going to continue to get stronger and it's going to grow back. You may go back and try to pull it again. Guess what? It breaks off again or you mow over it again. The reality of it is, is if we don't ever effectively pull that root out, it will continue to regrow and the root system will continue to get stronger. And so I, right, when I used to weed, used to have a big, long, gnarly screwdriver and I'd dig it down in the ground and I'd twist it all the way around and I'd pull it out so I could get that weed completely out of the ground. Had to do that. We have to mm -hmm. do that with our emotions as well. Here's the thing though, when we completely and effectively unroot it, there's also a hole that needs to be filled. Yep. We get to fill that with new patterns, new behaviors, new thoughts, new feelings over time after we go through the last step of move. Move is three things. How does the emotion move in your body? How does it move through your world? And how do you move through it? Okay. So I'll give a couple examples. I talked about my shame example earlier, right? With my wife. Mm -hmm. That's one of the ways it moves through my body. I feel it defensively. I get a little bit of anger. I get a little temper. Another one I often talk about is, guess what? Anybody who's been listening to this can answer this question. I talk really fast and I'm loud, right? I can't mm -hmm. tell you how many times in the corporate world in a B2B meeting, I'd be sitting there and someone would lean over and be like, shh, shh Brian, you can't talk so you can't talk so fast. And I'd immediately shrink down, feeling unworthy, feeling not good. My body would shrink down literally, right? And I'd start biting my tongue. That's another way shame moves through my body. Same emotion, different movement. So it's mm -hmm. difficult for us sometimes because we will often identify things as an incorrect emotion. Again, how does it move through your body? I have five or six different ways that shame through, moves through my body. Anger, for example, I have another five or six ways that anger moves through my body. Unless I understand how it moves through my body, I can't start breaking patterns because I can't understand how it moves in my world. Once I understand how it moves in my body, I can start to pay attention to how it moves in my world, which is where do I get triggered, right? Mm -hmm. So literally, it might be someone challenging me on something that I'm absolutely sure on. It might be someone not understanding what I said and feeling the need to get that point across. It might be walking in my house and the dog's barking and it just shoots my nerves up from a sensory <laughs> yeah. overload perspective, right? But yeah. I've got, oh, for shame, I have five or six different ways that it moves in my body and I have over 50 triggers that I'm aware of. For anger, I have five or six different ways it moves in my body. I have over 60 triggers that I'm aware of. But it's in those moments where I can start patterning how it moves in my world and how it's moving in my body to be able to recognize in those moments that I can pause, analyze what's going on. See, is this connected to this moment or is it connected to how my grandpa looked at me when I was four and loaded the in dishwasher incorrectly, right? See <laughs> it for what it is and choose a different path in those moments to recreate patterns. It's only through this done regularly and consistently that we start to actually break down these walls and patterns and redefine new ones, but we can escape that. Now, what I'm going to say, and I said this in the beginning, something like shame, I will never completely escape shame. They right. are deeply ingrained in who we are. I will only have shame impact my life less and less the more regular I'm consistent with this. It will be an adversary in constant pursuit, and I have to be vigilant in my efforts to be aware and intentional in every moment so that I can actually move forward and respond to see a future path versus react creating damage. Yeah. And again, a lot of very good, like I'm, my mind's just processing this whole part because like, I, I know there's times I fall into that 
And like you said, someone could, like I can come home and we have an older pug and he just barks and it will irritate me. I know he doesn't mean he's 16. He's old. He's going to bark. But I like I can catch myself getting set off and I had to stop and not yell at him because I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I mad? I'm not mad at the dog. There's something else that's bugging me, but it's just following that process and being aware. But also you might get mad at the dog and think about how that energy can be redirected towards your wife or your kids or your yeah. business partners or anything. So unintentionally, that's the thing about triggers that we don't pay attention to. There are constantly things that are causing us to react real time. And every time we don't acknowledge it, we absorb a resistance and energy drain in our world that if we do nothing with it, it will have future impact. Right. Yeah. So that's why when I say we focus on repair, the faster I can get the resistance and energy drain out of my world, right? The faster I'm able to calm my nerves after the dogs bark and I get shooting for the, for the roof, right? The less likely it is, I'm going to have a reaction on my wife, my kids, right? Yell at them mm -hmm. or be feeling yucky. Cause we all know what that feels like too. I don't want to feel that way anymore. Right. That's my responsibility to remove it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And then the one thing that I've learned to do is that if I don't catch it in time, I start going off and I realize it, I stop and I'm like, hold on, that wasn't at you. And I yes. own it. And then I apologize for it. And then I fix it. I don't just say, I'm sorry, you feel this way. I'm like, I used to do that. I, and it's shifted. Be like, I used to be like, I'm sorry, you, I made you feel this way. And now it's like, no, this is mine. I need to own this. Yeah. And that's just yeah. like, I think that progression as you learn this more. A hundred percent. And the ownership is key. And by the way, that's also how you start establishing trust and communication through whatever relationship you're dealing with this in, right? Is the faster we can take ownership, right? That's also the faster that we can remove the resistance and energy drain for the other person. Because yeah. it's through that, that it's also not about placing blame. It's about getting it right, not worrying about being right. And it changes the whole dynamic in relationships. Again, business and personal. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I'm talking about here is about communication, relationships, and things that affect Everything we do, because everything we do interacts with people. Yeah. So in some, some rhyme or reason, this will impact all of us in some way. We just don't always take the time to pause and look at it. Yeah. And I, I think that's just key, whether you're meeting business, relationships, sales, uh, your family, because, you know, I think it's easier for us because we're in a safer space. We'll lash out at the people we love more so than people we don't know as well. Mm -hmm. And then we have to go back and fix it. But if we can catch it beforehand and become aware, that's going to be like the first step moving forward with it. That's right. That's now, right. we're not done. I just always like to do this in the middle. Can you tell people where they can find you? Yep. Um, so you can find me anywhere if you Google my name, but if we'll, we'll go to social first, go to at Bogert Brian. Um, and by the way, when I say that, that's not to impress, to impress on the point. That's the beautiful world we live in now. We can find people easy. Um, go to at Bogert Brian. Um, I'm also going to, um, for the sake of this, go to IamNoLimits.com. It's a central place for a lot of our entities. And so you'll see different ways that you can engage with us around our philosophy of who before what across multiple different verticals. Perfect. Yeah. And I, like I said, I always just like doing in the middle because, you know, people at the end will sometimes drop off yeah. or if you get at the beginning, they haven't really gotten enough content to maybe follow. Um, <clears throat> but going back into what you were talking about with like owning your stuff and moving forward, what are some other key things that maybe we've missed in this conversation or some other stuff that maybe can help move people down the uh, path toward it more? Yeah. So I think so often we are in a position as society where we have lost the art of thinking and we've lost the art of feeling. And as a result of all of these things, it also puts us in a position where so often we've lost who we are. Right. And so we talked about this intellectual and emotional narrative a minute ago, 
But what I want to take it a step further is kind of this concept that I want people to actually understand. What does that mean, right? Like if I'm talking about how do I balance and regulate between intellectual and emotional narratives, like what does that mean exactly? Now, the words I'm going to use hopefully bring some clarity, but it's also going to cause pause, I promise, okay? Because again, we've lost the art of thinking and we've lost the art of feeling. What I'm suggesting people do to bring this back is that we need to learn to not only think and feel, but actually think about our thinking, think about our feeling, feel our thinking, and feel our feeling. It's in that quadrant that success lives. So if you have a thought cross your mind, pay attention to what are you feeling in conjunction with that thought. Think about the thought, think about the feeling connected to the thought, right? If you feel something first, right? Pay attention to, okay, if I'm feeling this way, what thoughts are coming as a result of this feeling, right? I need to feel that thinking. And I also have to feel that feeling so that I can better understand what's actually going on and seeing it for what it is. This is an area where a lot of people don't pay attention, but it's this lack of thinking and feeling that also is leading to in so many ways to us losing elements of who we are, because we don't necessarily know how we want to think or feel moving forward outside of what the world has told us to do. Mm -hmm. And so I will start with one general thing. And again, I think in sales in business development, any of these things, this is critically important is to pay attention to finding your most authentic self as frequently as possible. So I'll give one really tactical tip for people to start leaning into this, because this also starts pointing at some emotional triggers that could exist in your world. Create two lists. On one, I want you to start with all the people, things, sources of information, environments, and interactions that you have that make you feeling alive. They leave you feeling lifted, that leave you feeling energized. It's like you get in flow state, eight hours is gonna go by and it felt like one. You can't wait to slam through that wall again tomorrow, right? We all know what that feels like. We all know what it feels like to like literally wanna take on the world because we got energy infused into us in some way, form or fashion. Pay attention again to the people, things, sources, information and places that make you feel that way. Counter list. People, things, sources of information and places that make you feel like shit. Yep. Leave you feeling depleted, unworthy, defeated, like you have absolutely no energy that one hour feels like eight and you can't imagine slamming your head against this wall even longer, right? You feel like you're not good enough, like you can't ever get it right, right? Mm -hmm. And you just are constantly fatigued and there. The reality of it is we both know, we all know what both of those things feel like, yet we don't ever take action or take the level of awareness to recognize the things that are making us feel each way. But if you wanna lean more into who you authentically are, start eliminating or removing as many things on the negative list as possible and spending as much time on the positive list as you can. Because the yeah. reality of it is, is energy doesn't lie to us, just like emotion doesn't lie to us. The reality is, is that it points us at what's important if we're paying attention. And so when you feel uplifted, energized around those people, things, people and, and sources of information or places, spend more time around those people or things. Mm -hmm. And that will give you better calibration on who you are and allow you to start seeing the areas that you're getting triggered on this negative side. Here's the reality. I know what it's like to be miserable, stuck, unworthy, defeated. I've been over here. I know what it's like to live over here more often than not. No one deserves to feel this. Everyone deserves to feel this. And all I'm encouraging is just take the time to see yourself more clearly. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's something that I've actually started doing. Like realizing good. when I'm talking to certain people, I feel energized you know, lift it up. And then other people, they just like drain me. Damn. So here is a good question. I know a lot of people think this. Well, I have some people in my life that maybe family or close friends that I 
feel uh, with, but I can't cut off. How do you deal with that? Like I, what I've been doing is just limiting that space. And I know, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to this person. Then I come home and my wife's like, you just talked to, you need some time. So I, that's what I've done. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. That's just kind of what By I'm the way, I, I, and I'm going to say there is no right or wrong. It's about what works for every individual. So yeah. I think that if that's working for you, then call it right. I think that's a really effective thing because also what you're doing is you're releasing the energy after the interaction so yeah. that it doesn't impact things in a future perspective. So that is one tactic that I absolutely would give people is like, okay, if you know you're going to be in this environment, give yourself an unwind or a releasing practice so that you don't carry that forward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the other side of it is, um, do a better job establishing boundaries. And I'm going to say in particular, emotional boundaries. Okay. So if you know that going over to your parents' house triggers you and makes you feel less than right, then what you have to start to recognize is that like, no one can make you feel that way. If you actually allow and understand the source of where that's coming from and see it for what it is very mm -hmm. typically when people are being shamed. It's also because there's shame coming from the person who's projecting it. Yeah. And so when you can start to feel like, oh, I don't need to absorb this energy anymore, choose not to. Now you can't change their actions or behaviors, but you can absolutely change whether you react to it or respond to it and process it for what it is. So I know that this is something I've had to do with difficult relationships in my life, which is to better establish what those boundaries look like, what we are willing and not willing to actually absorb. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that some of those boundaries even have to do with how those people might speak to you yeah. or what they might do for them that has nothing to do with you. And so I have had to set very firm boundaries where I'm like, look, I want you in my life, but if this is continually how you're going to treat me or speak to me, I choose not to be around this, despite the fact that I love you deeply. Yeah. Right. And sometimes we have to have those difficult conversations and hopefully that person leans into it. I can tell you in my case, every time I've ever really taken it there, the people want to continue and improve, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not about them. It's not saying they're wrong. It's saying, hey, this is how I'm experiencing this interaction. This is how it's making me feel. It's owning my truth to let them know that this is not something that I choose to be around because I don't feel good around it. Yeah. And if you can't escape it, then I think a release practice like you talked about is really effective. Yeah. Um, I think that's true for not just people, but environments as well. And I think those individuals who are more empaths and compassionate will tend to absorb a lot of energy that's not theirs and believe it's their own. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even just talking about how do you remove yourself from these situations? The releasing practice is something that's good for all of us to do when we actually pay attention to this. I absorb other people's energy. I coach people on deep, dark trauma, and I have to walk them through some of these really painful areas of their life and actually in some cases remove that energy from them which means i can absorb it as my own and before you know it i can be getting triggered in my shame six hours later and if i haven't gone through my release practice or acknowledge that it might have come from someone else it could seem like my shame's triggering me real time and it wasn't having anything to do with me yep yep again so the point is these things are complicated but they don't have to be they can be much more simple in the way we view them. And that's what we're trying to do is give a framework for people to see themselves and move through these things that we all deal with, by the way. It's a universal human experience. But I genuinely believe that if we all seek connection the most, this is one of the greatest ways for us to be less disconnected, more connected in the way that we desire. Yeah. No, no, I agree 100%. Because I, I, I'm maybe not to the degree you are, but I know that when I get around certain people, I have that energy. I feel that pull. It will drain me or will lift me up yeah. and all that. So that's where I learned how to do that whole releasing thing. Yeah, I actually, it's huge. That's a great on. idea. Yeah. And then also I've learned that 
I understand that it's not always about me, even if I'm around them and I feel that drain, yeah. it's them projecting, like you said, but it took me years. Like I used to just always feel like, oh, why is this? What's going on? And now it's to that point where I think, like you said, becoming self-aware about it, putting the boundaries up, which can be hard, especially if family very hard. Um, but you have to re- realize you're worth it. And I think a lot of yeah. people have a hard time when it comes to people that they love understand that no you have to protect yeah. you first your work yeah. which is key it takes a long time to do sometimes but it's definitely key and and let's be clear like just because you set effective emotional boundaries just because you can start protecting yourself and releasing these things doesn't mean that you're not going to get hit by it occasionally too yeah right the reality of it is is like as much as you know you say maybe not to the level of you like dude my level is just relative to my level yesterday right like there is no comparison around awareness and how we move through this stuff because it's my own ability to bo- do this for myself that matters, right? It doesn't, it, it, again, the comparison doesn't, but truly as aware as I am, I still get triggered in situations that I know will trigger me, even though I've set the boundaries and I go into them with intention, trying to actually allow those things to flow right through me. Sometimes they still stick, mm-hmm. right? And so again, another place where we've got to become aware and know that like, that doesn't mean that you failed on your quest to escape these things. It doesn't matter how far you get. You will always be triggered by these things. It's just hopefully you get triggered less and less. Yeah. Well, and just getting 1% better. That, that's been my oh. goal to change. Just get a little bit better with it because, it you know, I don't want to be the same person I was 10 years ago. And right. I look back now and I'm definitely not. But 10 years from now, I don't want to be where I am now. I want to keep, yeah. you know, improving and getting better. What are some release practices? Like, I mean, I know like for me, I'll go for a walk. I might do some grounding or breath work. I might take a bath. I may play a video game. It just depends on what I need to do to just, but do you have any like tips? Cause I know other people have yeah. different thoughts. On yeah. That. So uh, everything you, again, Joe, just, I mean, not, not a surprise, everything you just lifted are all phenomenal ways to do it. I think one of the best and quickest ways is through our breath. And it doesn't always have to be like crazy structured breath work. Although sometimes we need to go there too. Um, I'm a big believer in the four by four method of breathing four seconds in through your nose, four seconds out through your mouth. It's mm-hmm. been used by the Navy seals for decades. And it's been proven to be one of the most effective things at calming the human stress response next to Valium. Okay. And so four seconds in your nose, four seconds out through your mouth for a minimum of a minute, ideally four to five, but you can do this real time in a conversation as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is not by coincidence that of all of the systems that keep our body running, and the systems that are automatic to keep our body running, that the only one that we also have influence and control over is our breath. Yep. We will breathe whether or not we put intention on it, but if we put intention on it, we can actually influence and control our breath. So getting oxygen to our brain, understanding the depth and cadence of our breath, understanding these things is one of the most effective ways to release energy. Period, end of story. Um, when we are getting tense, when we get anxious, what do we do? We tighten up, we shorten our breath, we deplete our brain of the very oxygen it needs to process to Mm -hmm. see the world clearly. And so often that's also one of the greatest ways to connect that 18 inches between the head and the heart is truly just through our breath. Again, our lungs find it all our, our, the oxygen does. So I know that sounds a little abstract and esoteric to some, I'm sure, but the reality of it is, even if you were to say something right now that triggered me, something as simple as just a It doesn't even have to be a big audible breath. Something as simple as a singular breath can center you in the now. Yep. Yep. And I've done that. I've used that technique even in sales because you get that even in like a practical, you get nervous and stuff. I'll get the person talking and I'll just take a quick 
breath or just a deep breath and just, I feel myself recenter and I'm good to go. Yeah. It's, it's a practice for sure, but I, I love that part. Any other parting words for, for my listeners here, anything else that maybe we haven't touched on or that you just want to impart to people? Yeah, I'll impart one, one, one thing. Um, and it's been a little while since I said this, but I'm feeling a big, big energy um, right now globally. So I want to, I want to put this out there. And I think probably because of the time of year that we're recording this, it's, it's felt even more. Um, I think a lot of people are waiting for a savior or a hero to like come into their lives and just make everything okay. Right. They're waiting for someone to come in and fix their problems. They're waiting literally to be saved. And again, to my point earlier, I think that's why there's so many seven step systems for success out there. People are looking for somebody to give them some glimmer of hope. And I don't in any way want to end this on a bad note. So bear with me beyond what I say next, Mm -hmm. but I hate to break it to you all. Nobody's coming to save you. The only person who can save you, the only person who can be your hero is you. So stop looking for a hero or a savior and instead look for guides. And I want to be really crystal clear when I say this, this is not like a pitch to get you to go hire a coach. Cause I think that 98% of people aren't ready for a coach. Okay. A guide can be an, I mean, it can be a spouse, it can be a kid, it can be a parent, it can be a sibling, it can be an employer. It can be people who see you and know you in a way that they can help you see yourself more clearly. Because here's the reality. Anybody who's listening to this or watching this right now, you are a survivor just by fact. You don't need a savior or a hero to come save you from a life you're already surviving in. What we want to do is shift from surviving to thriving. And the only person who can do that, again, is you. And so what I'd like all of you to do is just pay attention to those simple things about shedding the layers of who the world told you to who to be and get back to the core of who you already are and who you're becoming. And I can guarantee you this, right? If you get moved, you will move people. And we are on a path to impact a billion lives by 2045. So our greatest goal is to help moved people move people. We need all the help we can get to create that collective impact. So please save yourself so you can be a model, an example, and a guide for someone else. I love that. I like totally love that. Really because of this one thing, because when you said that, this thought just clicked in my head. When you have a savior or a hero to take care of you, you're not responsible for you. When it's you taking responsibility, then you can catch everything else and start to improve and grow and become the person you need to be. That's right. Which is also why I'm very clear. Find a guide instead of a seven-step system for success. Because so often what we see in these cases is that they are leveraging strategy and tactics to get you dependent on their programs and philosophies. Yeah. And our philosophy is different. We want to elevate and empower people to not be dependent on us because then they can be a part of our future change. We want to give people the tools and resources to do this on their own. We hopefully can teach them that because then they can teach others. Yeah, no. And and I love that. That's why we connected Um, because I'm all about helping people and it being about them being empowered, not them following me or doing a certain thing. No, that's great. I really appreciate it. Brian, thank you for being on my podcast. I really appreciate you and everyone listening. Please take this episode, share it with friends, family, co-workers, anyone you know that can benefit from it. And until next time, I'm your host, Joe Graham on the 150K podcast, where you help take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Remember, you're worth it, you're loved, and you're whole just as you are.